This morning we're going to um, finish looking at the second half of, uh, of our story, of our narrative that uh, we, we looked at last week, and that is uh, the first appearance of the resurrected Jesus in Luke's uh, gospel. So just as kind of a, a quick recap before we, uh, before we read, it's now the Sunday after Jesus was crucified on the cross, um, where he died and his body was buried in a new tomb by Joseph Arimathea. The last Sabbath Saturday happened, and, that, and then early, early in the morning, the Sunday morning, the women came back to the tomb to finish anointing and preparing Jesus' uh, uh, body for burial. And what did they find? What did they find? Nothing. They found nothing. Um, they found they found nothing, and 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 then they, what they did see though was the stone was was rolled away and the grave was was empty, and they were perplexed and they were confused by what is not there, and so two angels had to show up. They showed up to tell them and say, "Hey, he's not here. He's risen. Don't look for the living among." The dead. Remember the the words of Jesus. Put two and two together. He said he would suffer and die, and he would rise on the on the third day. So the women immediately went back to the disciples. They remembered. Actually, that, the text is very very specific in the text. It says that they remembered the words of Jesus, and then they immediately went back to the to the disciples and to the others and told them what they did not see and then what they they did see and who had appeared or what had appeared to them and also telling them, remember the words of Jesus. Remember what he told us. But the disciples didn't believe them, didn't believe their testimony. Peter ran to the tomb. Uh, it was verse 12. He ran to the tomb and, and he saw the same thing minus the angels. He saw in empty tomb. Now, last week we saw that on this same day, Luke shares with us one of the most amazing passages of all the scriptures of one of the most detailed appearances of Jesus to his disciples. Um, And within this, we see a spiritual and physical transformation that takes place on these in these two disciples along the Maus Road. And we're going to read that together uh, now. We're just going to read the whole passage again because it, it just rolls together when it's together. So let's look together at verse 13 and let's read together from Luke's gospel, the word of God from verse uh, 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know these things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said 
And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we had hoped, and we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at they were early, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find the body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ should be suffered and should and, yeah, suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly to stay, strongly saying, stay with us, for it was toward the evening and the day is now far spent. So we went in with them to stay. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were there with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. We had to read the whole thing together because it is just an amazing passage. When, when Christians read passages like this and we see such a direct encounter of Jesus and, and the transformation that takes place, when we read things like this, we ourselves can become stirred and amazed, having, having our own hearts burn within us because of what we see happening in this passage. The reason why is because in some way we can, we can kind of understand their experience of coming to know Jesus as they, as they did. You know, not in the same ways. Not in the same ways. Jesus didn't appear to us on the side of the, the road off of Highway 80. And if he did, it's just the guy who pulls the cross down the side of the road with the little wheel on the end of it. And if you think that was sin, then you've been duped. But our experience of salvation and regeneration is somewhat along the same lines 
when we are confronted by the truth of God's word. Or when we hear the the gospel proclaimed and our hearts burn within us because we understand our sinfulness and our spiritual poverty before a holy God. And yet we are drawn in by his love and his grace. And we hear a call to repent and our hearts burn with faith and repentance. We come and we are forgiven and we say yes. We say, I see, I believe, it's true. I know him. However, the question then how it comes uh, that arises then to us is how do we know that we know Jesus? Or maybe a better way to ask it is the question is how has Jesus made himself known? Can Jesus be really known? How are how are our hearts stirred to to burn within us? You know, these are questions that humanity has been asking since the very beginning. Many philosophers would say that, that if there was a God, then, then that God could not ever be known. Because he's God and he's, he's totally transcendent, unknowable, especially by the likes of a finite man. And of course, as Christians, we see that and we, we answer the question and we look at it wholeheartedly. Yes, God can be known. Christ can be known. But how? How would you specifically answer that question? What would you tell a friend who, who doesn't understand that concept of that you can know God? What would you say? Would you say, I have a feeling in my soul. Well, that would bring up a lot more questions and skepticism, wouldn't it? Or or would you say, I I just know because what happened? What happened to me? I, I went on a walk in the woods or something. Can Jesus really be known? And how can Jesus be known? This morning, as we look at our text together, we are going to see the resurrected Jesus Christ become known. He becomes known to these these two disciples as he's revealed to these two disciples. And when as we do, we can see how we can be certain not only of his resurrection and be confident in his resurrection, but we also can be confident to not only know how to answer those questions, but to believe those things of how we know Jesus Christ. So I'm going to show it that in three ways. First, we see that Christ is known through his word. Second, I'm going to show you how Christ is known around the table. And lastly, Christ is known through his people. So first, Christ is known through his word. I want you to see first that Christ is known through his word. So remember what we we just read, verse 16. We talked a lot about verse 16 last week where it said, but their eyes were kept 
from recognizing them. And, and, and the, the, the main point, the main thrust that we saw uh, in there and why Jesus was, was doing it, why Jesus was hidden from them is because Jesus was making the priority of the scriptures to these disciples before revealing himself to them. So their primary certainty was not in an experience or an emotion, but in the scriptures themselves. That's what he was prioritizing in that day. So he proclaimed the scriptures and taught the scriptures to them. It's what he wanted the disciples to see. And what we saw was the, the uh, um, before all that, these disciples were leaving Jerusalem hopeless and, and, and sad. And we talked about how that's where culture is. Culture is moving swiftly away from Jerusalem to obscurity, to nothingness, to hopelessness. And it's just as the two disciples confessed, our culture screams out uh, past the things that they had hoped for because they put their hope in so many things that's garbage and it never holds to the weight of which our souls are meant to bear and find real hope in. They're constantly placing their hopes in temporal ideologies and politics and groups and organizations, science, relationship, materialism, consumerism, philosophy, popularity. In every one of those, in every areas, they fail. And our culture screams out, we had hoped for. And then they just turn to the next thing. We had hoped for. They turned back to the same things. Of course, we see that in our own hearts and our own lives that we want to do the same things. Why the hopelessness and why all the sadness? Because of the rejection of God's word. So Jesus is speaking with these guys. He's still incognito. But what's very clear is that Jesus Christ makes himself known through the scriptures, through the word of God. And when Jesus appears to them, the pattern by which they respond with, with the, the, the women previously to these two disciples, and then we'll see later with the other disciples, are the same. Fear, disappointment, perplexed, to being rebuked and corrected, to being redirected, to remembering the scriptures or being taught the scriptures by Jesus and the things of the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection, to then going out and telling others. There is a pattern by which they respond. And we've already uh, asserted over these last couple of weeks that the implication is, is that they already should have known this because they have been given the scriptures and Jesus himself has told them these things that he would have to suffer, die, and then he would be raised again. But here in Luke 24, what does the risen Savior do for these heartbroken hopeless traveling disciples. He takes them in a Bible study. He takes them to the very place where hope is found in the word of God. That's in verse 27. That is Jesus's priority that very first Easter morning was to make himself known, not in the flesh, but in the word of God. Then brothers and sisters, if that's Jesus's priority, and he knows that that's where he is revealed and where he is known. Should we suppose that we can make him known in any other way? Should we 
Dare we be so arrogant? Should we depend on any other resource or any other means? No matter the amount of logic or science or philosophy, apart from the scriptures, what real transformational meaning will ever come in a person's life will come through the word of God. There is no amount of those things that will answer those questions. But it is by the power of the preaching and the teaching and the sharing of the word of God is where Christ is revealed. The scriptures are absolutely essential and necessary and authoritative and sufficient. You know, what's amazing and what we see in this passage with the women and now with these two disciples, people who should have known, they should have known, and yet they still had no clue of what was going on. But it was until they remembered the scriptures or when they were taught the scriptures and shown the scriptures that they could see. And then we hear their testimony of the power of the word of God in verse 32. Did our hearts, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? They recognized previously that their hearts were coming alive because of the teaching and the proclamation of the word of God. Only through the faithful proclamation of the scriptures will hearts burn and yearn. These disciples, they lost all their hope in Jesus. He was the one who was supposed to come and redeem Israel. They lost hope because Jesus died. And to them, a dead Messiah could not redeem or liberate Israel or them. And then Jesus diagnoses their unbelief in not understanding the scriptures. In the message of the scriptures, however, what Jesus shows them is that the Christ had to suffer and had to die so that he could redeem. The scriptures teach that only a dead Messiah could redeem. Because only a Savior who had died in our place could redeem us from the penalty of our sins. The wages of sin is death. Though they thought his death, the cross, meant that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah, Jesus revealed to them in the scriptures that the Messiah had to die and that the Messiah certainly did die. Because the scripture shows that his suffering and his death prove that on the cross, he was and is the Messiah. He not only suffered and died, but it was also necessary for him to, to rise again. In Romans chapter 4, it says in verse 25, it will be counted to us. And what he's speaking of here in Romans chapter 4 is he's speaking of the, the righteousness of Christ. So the righteousness of Christ will be counted to us who believe in him, faith, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, right? So here's the substitutionary death and substitutionary atonement, delivered up for our trespasses and raised resurrection for our justification. What's going on here? What is he saying? Justification here, and it's a glorious word. We love this word. 
justification is a good word. It's a legal word in term that, that, that now someone is now made right and righteous. He's been declared right and righteous. And here, it's not just before a, a, a judge of the world, but it's by the, the judge of, of, of the, the righteous judge, Christ, the Lord. We have been made righteous through Christ, through his work on the, cro- on the cross, and then through his work, we are given his righteousness, and now we are justified before God. We get that, right? There's substitutionary atonement. But here's what I want to point out from the argument of Romans 4, is that the resurrection, you see that there in verse 25, and raised for our justification. The resurrection does what then? It declares that the price was paid, that the price was paid. It declared, the resurrection declares that our justification has been made. The price has been paid. The atoning sacrifice was made and accepted by God. The penalty was served. The wrath of God was completely satisfied and that sinners are now made righteous in Christ alone and through Christ alone. And that means that's the meaning of the resurrection. The resurrection is a declaration that our justification has been secured. And when we miss that from the scriptures, as we say, you're missing the whole thing, guys. We should not miss that from the, the scriptures because this is where Christ is revealed. When Jesus walked out of the tomb that morning, when he walked free from the sentence of death, the penalty of sin of God's elect has been paid in full. And when Christ walked out of the tomb, we walked out of the tomb of death with him. The women were called to believe God's word. The disciples were called to were called and taught to believe God's word. Theophilus from the very beginning is told by Luke and called by Luke to believe and be confident in the promises of God's word and be certain in these things that they are true. And the same call for us brothers and sisters is to know that we know God and we know Christ because he has been revealed throughout all of the scriptures. All of the scriptures are proclaiming Christ. How is Christ known? He is known in his words. And we know that the necessity of his suffering and his death and his resurrection have been declared to us by his word. Let me illustrate this. In Luke chapter 16, there's the story of the Lazarus and the rich man. You all are familiar of this. The rich man and Lazarus both die. The rich man is taken to Hades and the poor man is taken to heaven. And there's this conversation that that takes place. The rich man who's in torment and in pain, he makes the request. He asks, send Lazarus to bring a cold couple of water. And Abraham's like, no, sucker. Then he says, Would you at least then send Lazarus back that he would warn my family? Because certainly if they see someone come back from the dead, they will believe and they will repent and live a life that I should have led. And what does Abraham say to the rich man? He says, they have God's word. They know God's promises. 
Don't they have the law and the prophets? And if that won't persuade them, not even sending someone back from the dead will persuade them. Do you see where I'm getting at here? Because here in Luke 24, God most certainly sent someone back from the dead. In a sense, he answered the, the request of the rich man. He sent someone back from the dead. And yet Jesus here still proclaims the scriptures because that is how he is known. The world, brothers and sisters, has overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. There is no evidence that they can give to us except for they could say, oh, that can never happen. That never happens. That can never happen. There's no such thing as miracles. There's no such things as these things. They have no other evidence except for such as that. God sent someone back from the dead, and yet the world still does not believe. Abraham was right. Because where is Christ revealed? Christ is revealed in his word. Christ is known in the word of God. And Jesus wonderfully makes himself known to them at that table that evening. After he prays in verse 31, it says, And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They see him now. Their eyes are open. They recognize him. But as soon as they do, he vanishes, though he is gone. Though he is gone even from us, brothers and sisters, what still remains? The scriptures. The scriptures is what he has taught them. The scriptures is what he has left for us. So how is Christ known or how do you make Christ known? Even to your own hearts, we do so through the word of God, with the Bible. It is God's way through God's means. And as Christians, we are to continually be pursuing knowing God in scripture, knowing Christ in scripture. And, and I get it. I get it that often, often life makes us feel like we're more like Mary are more like Martha and not Mary. We've been, we're, we're busy instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it's not that we reject the word of God or that we are ashamed of the words of the, of the Bible and that we don't really have a, a heart that wants to be there. We believe everything that's being said about the scriptures and we know that's where Christ is revealed. We know that that's what feeds our souls, but very much like Martha we are distracted with lesser priorities. We've taken other things, other things as priorities, even good things, honoring things, God-honoring things, like careers and homes and family, gadgets, news and politics. And then we forget the scriptures. And yet what we need as his people is to go to the source to where Christ is revealed and where he is known and like Mary, sit at his feet and delight in the wealth and the bounty of God's word. Because there is where Christ is known to us and not through anything else. So that first point is that Christ is known through his word. An amazing, important point that we're often to be reminded of. 
to sit at his feet and to delight in the bounty that he has given to us in the scriptures. And to be reminded of that because we live in a world, especially where there's so many well-meaning people that want to look in so many other lacking places and say, see, he's here too. But may we have the discernment to say, no, that's just the potato chip or a piece of toast. It's not the scriptures. It's not the word of God. Yet we see something else in our passage this morning. Christ is known in the scriptures, in the word of God, but Christ from what we also see here is that he is known somewhere else. He is known at the table, around the table. And that's not to diminish the first point. In fact, what it does, it, it builds upon the foundation of the scriptures, the word of God. And what I mean by that is that Christ is known within the fellowship of his people as seen around the table at a meal. And they don't diminish the two or they don't play against one another because it's the word of God that creates the people of God. And so if the word of God is what's created the people of God, can Jesus then be known by the example through the people of God? Through the fellowship with one another? So when the the two disciples... and, and the incognito Jesus, they arrive at Emmaus. The Bible study is complete. Jesus signals that he's about, to, he's about to move on, but he's really not. He's about to move on, right? And, and they're like, no, Jesus, you need to, or, well, they know his name yet, maybe. Stay with us here. Let's have a, a meal. Don't go out. It's, it's dangerous at night. You don't need to be traveling anywhere. So they invited him to stay, and Jesus stays. I love that. He stays with them, and, 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 and they become a host to, to Jesus and they prepare this meal. But Jesus kind of does something um, unusual here. He kind of takes the role of the host. He becomes the one that offers uh, the blessing for uh, the group as they're gathered around the meal. Look at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Later, these disciples testified to the other disciples in verse 35. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, this meal, in a sense, should sound kind of familiar to us because Luke likes to highlight the meals and parties that Jesus is a part of. But this one in particular is very reminiscent of two other very important meals that Jesus is the host of. The first is is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's again at the end of the day. Everyone is exhausted. The meal is kind of made at, at the last moment. Many are hungry. And, and on the mount that day, as Jesus, before Jesus feeds, he, he takes with what they have. You remember, was it five loaves and two fishes, right? They take what they have, and Jesus blesses it, and then he passes it around and gave it to everyone. And everyone of that 5,000 and more were fed and had plenty to eat. In fact, they had leftovers, 
Now, here's what's amazing. In that meal, during that meal, we especially see this transition, I believe, in John more than Luke. But it's in that meal where Jesus is revealed as the Messiah. Luke puts the confession of, G- of, of Peter right afterwards, right after this meal. So what we see going right along with this meal is a what? That Jesus is being known as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, Peter's confession. He's being revealed, right, as this. The second occurrence, a lot closer to where we are now, is in the Lord's Supper, where Jesus is at the table and he takes the bread, he blesses it, and he gave it to his disciples for what? To be a reminder and to be a remembrance of his body that would be sacrificed on their behalf in just a few hours. And this of course, is by far the most important of, of, of all the meals. But didn't this meal also reveal something as well? Of course. It revealed what they missed. It revealed that Jesus Christ is the suffering Savior. That the Messiah would suffer. That he, the sinless atoning sacrifice given on our behalf, And his sacrifice and his suffering should then be remembered throughout the ages by his people in the practice of taking of the ordinances. Oh, I remember the days. So two meals already that revealed something about the Messiah. Then there's this meal. Then there's this meal in Emmaus, which isn't the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper. It's not a sacramental meal. But still, Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, and he gives it to them. And guess what happens? He's known. He's revealed. He's revealed to them that he is alive. That the resurrected son of God is is here. He's alive. He becomes known to them. And they say it. When he broke the bread and he gave it to us, when we shared the meal with us as friends, instantly the, the blinders have come off and we've seen that he is alive, that it was him. And then he vanished. This isn't some mystical, mysterious, existential experience that we must have meals together so that we would feel something experiencing Jesus in some mystical kind of way. But Jesus is known through his word in fellowship with his people. And it's symbolized around that meal. But what we see When the word of God becomes embodied in a meal, his people experience the presence of Christ. They recognize Jesus because they connected the word with which they had been hearing to the meal that they were about to share with Jesus. Their hearts were burning all day hearing the scriptures being taught and proclaimed And then they made the connection, verse 35, telling the other disciples that he was known to them in the breaking of bread. 
Christ is known and is revealed in the fellowship of his redeemed people that he is alive. Brothers and sisters, in our fellowship together as his church, as his people, we are the evidence. We are the evidence that we have been redeemed and that we are a justified people. That we are a justified people. We are the the sign, the, the markings of that declaration that our justification has been accomplished. We gather together, as we read in, ver- in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, we continue to gather together each and every Lord's Day because He is risen, because He is alive. The church is the symbol to the world of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in it. Amen. You know, as much as I do, that we are not the perfect church. We're small enough to fit in a living room. Sometimes we don't understand one another. Sometimes we don't always agree. We can even offend one another. And certainly, we can get frustrated. However, often when we gather on Sundays, Wednesdays, and either other times in just smaller groups together, maybe over coffee or another, uh, another meal, in that fellowship, in that koinonia that we have together, I can see the work of Christ. And I hope you can see the revelation, the, the, the revealed Christ in, in a person. Not I, but Christ in me. And yeah, we, we may see it in moments and then he vanishes. And then we get frustrated again. We get a little, we get down because we're small or whatever it it may be. But it's not that he has left us. He's never left us. But in our fellowship, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is known together. He is known together when we gather around the Lord's table. He is known when we gather around a meal together. He is known when we gather around the coffee table He is known when we gather around other places at Chili's or whether it may be. He is known because as God's people are together, he is known because we believe and we have hope in the resurrection of Christ. They're not things we had hoped for, but these are the things that we hope in. You can see him. You can see him in our love. You can see him in our forgiveness. You can see him in our bearing with one another. You can see him in our compassion. You can see him in our grace. You can see him in our giving. You can see him in our serving. You can see him in our hospitality. You could see him in our love for one another. You could see him in our singing. You can see him when our hearts, when your hearts, when a heart in our group burns for more of the word because of the word of God. We are the body of Christ and he is revealed and is known in his church. We take the Lord's Supper because he is revealed in us as his suffering sacrifice and Messiah. 
When we eat together in meals of fellowship and in, in fellowship and joy, breaking bread together, we are declaring his resurrection hope. So when you go out to eat on Wednesday nights and you go out to eat for a meal on Sunday afternoons, you are not just eating with friends, but you are proclaiming a hope that you have in Christ. And your fellowship that you have with one another is a testimony to that. His resurrection and his hope is declared through us even over fried chicken or barbecue. Amen. <laughs> I know these months have been weird and these circumstances are certainly unorthodox. And to us, they just seem as if they are not ideal. But over these couple of weeks, as I've been leading our singing and our preaching and teaching time, I would notice out on the driveway, passerbys, passerbyers, right? As they go by, jogging, running, biking. And I wonder, what in the world do they think when they see a group of people sitting on a driveway in June? Now, whether they think we are weird or not, which they probably do, is very clear with our sign that we put out that we are a church. But I would hope that beyond maybe seeing and thinking that we are weird, that they see a group of people, and maybe if they look through these windows, they'd see a people who love, a community that loves one another, a community that has so much joy that we're still willing to meet even when we don't have a place to meet. That we have friendship, a place of warmth and welcome. They may not say that the Spirit of Christ dwells there, but would you? The world is a cold, dark, and lonely and hateful place. Does this church reveal, does this church reveal the welcome of Christ to all who come to his table? Our distinctiveness is Christ in us. Our saltiness is the presence of Christ. Our light is Jesus himself. That is our warmth. That is our welcome. And we want it to pour out of our fellowship. Christ is revealed through his word. And he's revealed in his people because he is the word of God. And lastly... Jesus is revealed, is revealed through his people. You, you know where I'm drawing at here. After they were at the table together, Jesus is revealed and he vanishes and their eyes are open. There's that strong statement of, of, the, of the word of God, almost like a confession in verse 32. But what happened after that? When their eyes opened and then the guys were like, well, that's neat. Let's eat. Was that what they did? And they just went to bed afterwards. And maybe the next morning they might talk. No, man, that's not what happened at all. Look at verse 33. They rose that same hour. And what'd they do? They went back to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were gathered with them saying that the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told him all that happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So did you hear what they did? 
they did exactly what they told Jesus not to do. Right? Remember in the very beginning, they told Jesus, Jesus, stay here. It's dark. It's nighttime. Stay with us. You'll be safe. Let's eat together. No problem. Let's eat. But as soon as Jesus is revealed, what they do? They get right back on that seven-mile journey at night, going right back to Jerusalem. They go back to Jerusalem. Christians who have been revealed Christ through the word of God, we are not moving to Emmaus, but we are moving to Jerusalem. We are headed to Jerusalem to do what? To bring others along, to tell others. Their call was not to sit and stay and continue to just be satisfied and go to sleep, but their call was to go to action, to go. Wherever Christ is known, his people cannot remain passive spectators. Brothers and sisters, again, this is the end of the pattern. Fear, perplexed, hopeless, to reveal the scripture, uh, it's the presence of Christ, and then to go. That's the, the pattern of, of God's people that when our hearts, our minds are revealed to the truth, when there's regeneration and transformation, when our hearts burn because of the word of God, we go and we tell. We go and we tell. It's not only the pattern for them, it's not just what they did, but it's the pattern by which we go and we do. Ephesians 3, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you to which is your glory. How, are, how is Christ then known through his people? We proclaim to the ages, to the world, to the authorities of the heavens and of the earth, what? The manifold wisdom of God, which is the word of God. We proclaim Christ. If the people of God do not proclaim the word of God, then who do we expect to do it? Charlatans on television? The lost? The world? No. We carry his word. We take the gospel to the nations. We take the gospel to all peoples everywhere. We take the gospel to the places where he has put us, and we are that gospel witness right here. You don't have to worry about going to the nations if he does not call you to share the gospel. But certainly you can go to your city your family, your friends, you, as the Lord leads you, we are called to be God's people and to be faithful as his people with his word right here and right now. The sign of the resurrection at work in, the, in God's people's lives is that they understand what the Bible teaches about the cross. And when they do, they want to tell others. So how is Jesus known? He is gloriously known in the word of God. 
because he is the word of God. Jesus is known amongst his people and his presence is with us because he is the word of God. And the word of God shapes the people of God. We experience the presence of Christ in our fellowship as his people. And lastly, how is Jesus known to the world? He is known by his people whom he has created through the word of God to proclaim the word of God. And each and every one of us have a very specific role and task in that mission. Gloriously to fulfill for his glory and for our joy. And to his praise throughout all the ages. Amen. Lord, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful, O oh God, for your word. And may you use it now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.